is up, brother blood? What up, dog? How you doing? I'm good, man. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, yeah, I can. I was uh, had to step away from the computer and wash my hands, man. I uh, I just got one of those Hello Fresh boxes. Yeah. Like we got a free one for Christmas, and everything in there is all fucking sticky. I don't know if like one of the meat bags is punctured or something, but like feeling gross. It's a very death, it's a very definite way to start this. One of the meat bags must be punctured. It is, man. I'm I'm touching nature, and I don't like it i don't want to fuck with it i don't blame you man hello fresh i hear is pretty tight i never tried it though we're about to i'll let you know how it goes assuming i don't get fucking yeah i don't know what botulism whatever yeah. <laughs> like uh rabies assuming i don't get punctured meat disease i'll keep you posted rabies well cool man it's how like was christmas paper. man i was just gonna ask you mine was okay man how was yours Pretty good. Went up to D.C., thought we were going to get a white Christmas, got like a gray Christmas. I went running during the day and it kind of it was like flaking a little bit of snow on me, but it wasn't the real thing. So holding yeah. that for next year. We got hammered with snow up here, man. So I heard I saw I was looking on the uh, looking on the radar and being like, why don't you just come on down this way a little bit? Big pink swirl. But I, no. was, trying to, I was trying to get it there to you, Shul, but no, it was it was cool, though. Christmas was weird this year. I feel like holidays are just weird this year, you know? Yeah, I know. Holidays this year is what you and I do every couple of weeks when we do a fucking podcast. Exactly. Yeah, get on Zoom and shoot the shit for a little while. We had like a, I had my entire extended family on my mom's side doing a Zoom call on Christmas Day. And it's just it, like, it was good to see everybody, but it was just fucking chaos. You know what I mean? Like sure. 12 different windows. Yeah. Some of them like different people doing different screens in the same room. So there was like squelching feedback and all this other kind of shit. It's just like, we're not, we're not there yet. We're trying to adapt to this brave new world, but we're not quite there. We're trying our best or it's trying our best to make us adapt to it. What about that? That's true. That is true. The artificial intelligence taken over, but I, I had a steady diet of deicide and incantation as always on Christmas. So I'm stoked for this podcast. Fantastic, fantastic combination. Right. Once upon a cross has to be played every Christmas, or it doesn't feel like Christmas. I agree. Uh, we, uh, I did the uh, the died special, kill the Christmas for, for the radio did. show. That was the uh, that was the did, did a cannibal a very cannibal Christmas last year, and did kill the Christmas this year. Two straight hours of deicide. Who knows what next year will bring? How did it go? How did everything go at the station? Went pretty good, man. We had. Um, with COVID and everything, shit's yeah. all up in the air regarding access to the building. So my my show got moved to two to four p.m. Okay. So I was like blasting, you know, old school death metal songs about Satan and shit like that in the middle of the afternoon in Columbia, South Carolina. I thought maybe I'd get a couple of calls. I didn't. I assume that most people, when they tune into the college radio station, sort of know what the score is. I was going to say I don't think too many people that are going to listen <clears throat> to you are going to be offended by that. I certainly hope not, man. Apparently nobody was. They don't understand what they're saying anyway. Yeah, I know, man. It's just they, they, they say, oh, all the cookie monster shit. Yeah, right. Yeah, bro. You hear that all the time. Live, never gets old. I live for the cookie monster shit. Never gets old, man. We are talking to today someone who might have almost invented the cookie monster shit in a way say you, he, you could say yes. 
definitely played a hand in its uh, in its spread and its rise to prominence, most definitely. Right. Especially, I know he was, well, John McKenzie, I guess we should say, is who we're talking about. Uh, yeah, to. we're talking to fucking John McKenzie from Incantation John today. McKenzie from Incantation, who is now the front man, but started as just the guitarist, right? Correct, yeah. Correct. And um, he was, they were in a band before they were Incantation. I was doing some research on that. Do you know anything about that? Or he, he at least was in a band before Incantation? I have forgotten the name of the band, but I know that Incantation well. recorded a cover of one of their songs a few years ago for that Decibel uh, yeah. Flexi Disc series. What was the name it, of the band? I I should have that up, but I don't. I forget what it was. I forget what it is right now. But uh, we should have about it. More of a thrash leaning yeah. thing, if I'm not mistaken. Right, and then they kind of obviously. I know the song was called "The Generation," but I still don't know the band name. We'll find out. We'll ask him, and he's going to be like, you motherfuckers should know this, and we're going to be like, bro. That's right. We're getting old. I got shit leaking out of my head day and night. Especially right now. I feel like this is the the week between Christmas Eve and New Year's Day should just be a complete shutdown of everything, right? It's so weird, man. We're trying to, like, work for a week. Yeah, you shouldn't have to work. You shouldn't have to think. Like, I'm lucky because I'm on school break right now anyway, but, like, I've still got my own shit that i got to be working on, and I, I am grateful that I'm not, like, uh, trying to actually do, like, a nine-to-five job right now because my head's just so far up my ass. I can't even concentrate. I'm with you on that, bro. And the band is called Revenant. Revenant! That's what it is. Revenant, yeah. Definitely. I would have woken up at like three in the morning and remembered it if you hadn't found that out right now i got you i just sent you a little thing on instagram with him and revenant he looks like he's like 12 it's awesome yeah i know john mckinty i think is one of the guys who you can look at like through the ages of death metal and sort of see how he has progressed age-wise and i gotta tell you man he's embracing the white he's embracing the gray and i feel like there's power in that move as somebody who's you know definitely gray he looks uh, killer. He looks like the youngest dude with gray hair and a gray beard ever. He really does. Like, that's the thing. There's not a wrinkle on the guy's face, but he looks like fucking, he looks like I imagine Gandalf would look if he were in like his late 30s. 100%. Yeah, it's a good call. <laughs> Great call. Yeah. Same thing I, with um, OJ, uh, Chris Ojeda from Byzantine. I don't know if you ever listened to them or not. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely fucking love that band. The dude's had like solid white hair for years on his face. Uh, not a wrinkle to be found so it must be the death metal that must be the secret well I'm hey, man. hearing what he has to say about his uh health and wellness routine or staying healthy on the road if he has one because he, he looks pretty damn good he's been at it for a long ass time agreed yeah they um interesting to uh so we're we definitely have to talk about the early days for sure you think oh yeah i got we get we got a I think we got enough stuff that we can talk to this dude for several hours. It's going to be we difficult could, yeah, to try and that's, trim everything down. Yeah, if he wants to talk to us for several hours, I mean, I'm, we won't have any any problem with that. It's just asking him the right questions and the amount of time that we have. <laughs> be like, all right, guys, uh, sure. I'm going to tell you to fuck off now. Like, so but, 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 don't want to talk about every album. Yeah, walk us through each one, and then we. That would be a journey. That would be a journey. I mean. You've definitely, I know this because we've talked about it, but if you take a dive in the incantation discography, it's its a rewarding prophecy. It is, man. Some really interesting shifts going on there. And again, you know, I, th- I think you and I have talked about this before. There was, 
you know, I've been listening to Incantation for many, many years. And up until last year, or shit, actually, I think it was earlier this year, like back in the winter at the beginning of this year, there was still Incantation shit that I hadn't listened to. Like the, the album Blasphemy, I'd never really just, I'd never checked it out before for whatever awesome. reason. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's good. There's some killer shit on there. So like it's cool to I say this I feel like every time we're on the podcast, but it's cool to be, you know, to, to have been listening for this to this kind of music for for you know since the nineties and still have all kinds of shit that's been around forever that I still haven't discovered, you know. Yeah, I mean absolutely very very rewarding. Was Incantation a band that was on your radar immediately when you were getting no. into now you found out about that? No, I yeah, I got into uh, I got into death metal when I was in high school. I was in like uh, ninth grade, and I didn't hear Incantation until I got to college. Uh, so there was, you know, what what in retrospect seems like a really short period of time, but I'd probably been listening to death metal for like four or five years uh, right. by the time I heard Incantation. And the first one that I heard, of course, was Onward to Golgotha and uh, the Grail. It was, uh, dude, it was just, it was so fucking heavy and it was, there was a lot more like, it, it was doomier than a lot of the stuff that I listened to, you know, like you could hear Sabbath elements in there and there were, it was, it was definitely different from a lot of the stuff that I was listening to at the time. Cause like I was idolizing shit like fucking Cannibal Corpse, um, who by that time had started to get more technical, you know, with Corpse Grinder in the band. Um, I was super into Deicide. Deicide was like the second death metal band I ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really loved a lot of the, the thrash flavor that they had. I was starting to get into some of the more brutal stuff. And then Incantation came along for me. I can't even remember how I found them, and which, which sucks because a lot, of, a lot of the bands that I've been listening to for a long time, I have fun little interesting memories about how I got exposed to him or whatever but incantation seems to have shown up yeah one day. me too I feel like but they're almost not and maybe we can talk to him about this like if you're just getting into death metal you're probably not gravitated towards incantation right away yeah um it, it kind of depends i feel like they've kind of risen to the point of like underground superstardom in the digital age to where i think a lot of younger people who are just getting into this stuff are more familiar with them than they would have been say 10 years ago and, and, and of course the fact that they've been together that much longer is is playing into that as well um but the incantation you know you see a lot of incantation merch i see a whole lot of incantation flags with uh younger dudes who are just starting to get into this stuff so maybe maybe they're starting to become the the household sort of entry level even though you know the shit's ridiculously heavy and a lot of it's technical um yeah but i still i still feel like a lot of incantation specifically the new record i think is something that if you're just getting into death metal there's a lot of shit on there that you can latch on to such a catchy record definitely well let's hear what he has to say but indeed, you yo, you guys hear me? Yeah, there he is. <laughs> there, holy! Can you crap. hear us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there he is. Sorry about that. I don't know, dude. No worries, my, man. I don't know come out of my microphone or if it's coming out of the computer, but I'll leave the microphone here just in case. Yeah, it looks uh, it looks more professional that way. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, it's it's great to meet you. My name's Schuler. And uh, I, I believe you and Zach have spoken before. Yeah. Well, thank thank you so much. It's awesome to have me. 
Bro, it's such an honor, man. Thank you so it much. Is, for it is indeed. It means the world to us. You have no idea. We're huge underground death metal fans, huge death metal fans. That's why this brand and this podcast exists. And your incantation has been one of the bands that has always been in the, you know, very top of the list for us. So it's a huge honor to talk to you, man. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I'm just happy to, you know, still be here, still be relevant in some extent, you know, we're doing this for so long. You never expect anybody to really give a crap, you know, at least, you know, it was kind of, we figured, okay, maybe we'll do okay for a little bit in the beginning, you know, and then everyone will just be like, okay, it's garbage, you know, <laughs> and we're still it here is, for right? some reason. <laughs> it is, it is, it is interesting that like this, this genre that sort of began as like a bunch of young dudes, just like trying to do the most extreme thing possible became not only marketable at one point, but it's had this amazing longevity that it has and that it has such diehard fans who have stuck with with heavy bands for so long you know yeah it's actually really um surprising you know because yeah we just you know like most bands at the time we wanted to kind of push the limits you know and but we're we want to do it a little different than everybody else you want to do it our way which i think there's a good amount of bands that did there's always a good amount of bands that want to push things in a more generic way ones that want to push things more in a different way. And we were kind of wanting to do it in a different way, but uh, it's just crazy to think that, you know, probably now we're more popular overall. We were when we were actually doing the stuff that we were trying to push forward. And now the stuff we're trying to push, we were trying to push forward then is like almost commonplace in the um, scene now. But back then, even though we had a, a lot of people were digging it, there was also a lot of people like, what the hell are you guys doing? You're not, you're not playing music in the way it's supposed to be done. You know, even, even in death metal, there was like, you know, in early nineties, there was the beginning of certain rules coming up and, you know, being rebels like you were, we're like, okay, we're going to break the rules. You know I mean? We didn't break the rule. We weren't thinking, okay, we're going to do it to break the rules, but we just were like, rules don't exist. That's a better way to put it. You know, with music, it's all about just doing what you feels right. It's not about trying to follow a script that, you know, uh, other people might expect you to follow, or, you know, you could use the stuff you learned from the past, but there's really no rules. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter anything. Nothing matters except if you listen to it and it sounds good or sounds the way you want it to. That's what's important. It's not important to know about, all these little uh, technical things. I mean, it's it's not bad to know them, but you don't. The end product is what's important. Right? It's not how you get there or the way you do it. And music doesn't evolve unless people really try to do something in their own personal way and not just follow the textbook um, thing. Like I like when we started in Can, I never really thought I I I never thought the association between guitar and drums the way that a lot of other people looked at it. Like I just thought, okay, it's a fast drum beat and I just play a fast, you know, guitar part over it or something, but never really thought about like these timing issues and like, you know, beats per minute and it, like how to organize the, the picking to the kick drums. And, you know, that, that stuff wasn't, wasn't even a thought of maybe we did it, maybe we do it, but we just, it wasn't even the slightest thought. It was just like, that sounds cool as fuck. Let's do it. You know, it sounds heavy as fuck. Let's do it. It was all just like what sounded sick and dark is the stuff, the kind of the route we went, not like worrying about, you know, 
details that, you know, maybe some other bands did and, and a lot, lot of more commercial bands of our time, you know, maybe follow those rules or whatever, but we were, we didn't, you know, we didn't see that as, as an issue because it, we weren't as much worried about the technical aspect that we were more worried about just this vibe coming out. Is it, you know, dark and heavy and evil and just make your soul want to like turn inside out kind of thing. You know, that was the vibe we wanted. It wasn't worried about, Oh, is, you know, someone going to complain because, you know, it's a weird, the guitar doesn't match up with the kick drums in this part. It's like, if it, if it doesn't match up, but it sounds good, we're just going with it. And it I mean, and it seems like that resonated with a lot of people, right? <laughs> One of the things that we uh, are really excited to talk to you about, specifically because of our, our, the people who listen to this podcast are divided up into several groups that kind of come together with, with common interests. And a portion of those are younger people who are familiar with death metal sort of as it stands now. And a portion of those are people who aren't really familiar with death metal as a genre or not particularly awesome. familiar with death metal as a genre. So it's interesting to hear for both those groups from, you know, somebody who was there and somebody who contributed so much to this legacy and to this evolution, what it was like to sort of be crawling around in the dark to find this style of music, because it's, it's so easy to look at it now as something that has a blueprint, right? Yeah, well, that's true, because, yeah, kind of crawling around in the dark is a good way to describe it because there there weren't really any rules it was too the the style was too immature i mean there were there, there was certain bands that were kind of cleaning it up a little bit and it's and not cleaning up is necessarily a bad thing but there was like a lot of the uh mars sound bands i think they were getting schooled a little bit by mars sound to you know tighten up the sound or whatever like you know, Death and Morbid Angel and those bands. I mean, they were, they're all great bands, um, you know, Obituary. But, you know, they they all played in a really, um, you know, a certain, a certain tightness in it. And I, I think it has to do with them going to a studio that maybe kind of had, you know, told them like, you know, play this freaking riff in time. Don't just, you know, <laughs> don't just do whatever. Because, you know, a lot of the stuff that I listened to in the tape trading days, it was a whole bunch of bands that didn't really know what they were doing, just knew that they wanted to make it dark or whatever. And, and a lot of our influences, at least for me, was, um, you know, punk and hardcore. We were also part of the building blocks of this. Not, I mean, and of course, thrash and, um, you know, power metal, all different heavy metal, all that stuff was kind of a, a part of it. But, uh, um, you know, there were bands like, I, I don't know, like, like say like early, demo era necrophagia or um demo version uh well i guess the only version of necrovore um stuff like that um you know or like early bathory uh you know it's like they didn't really like they didn't follow those those normal rules that you're supposed to follow when you're a schooled musician you know it was just kind of like just trying to create this dark or with the sound there like those bands it was almost like there was a a aura yes i guess is the best way an aura of sickness and evilness that was there that was more than just the riffs themselves it was like the overall vibe of how everything was happening and to kind of try to you know yeah trying to piece it all together and make it into your own thing uh, was kind of you know what 
bands like us were just trying to do. We we're just trying to take these because we, we love the feeling of those those bands. It, it was it wasn't like we were listening to it and being like, oh, that guitar player is great. No, you listen to, I don't know, like the uh, the return by Bathory and you just listen to it because it's so sick and dark and evil. You, you know, it's not played really well, but it's not. The issue isn't the playing. The issue is you listen to it. And you're getting a vibe from it. It's almost like yeah. a, an atmospheric thing or something, you know, and then, you know, but then at the same time, it's very, it's very impressive at that time, especially to hear bands like, um, uh, yeah, like Morbid Angel, like um, say Altars of Madness or something and hear, hear it all tightened up, you know, and really played with a high technical ability. And I think in our, in our time, there was just a divide between bands where some bands really wanted to, you know, do that super, super tight. Uh, style of death metal and other bands that wanted to do more of a feeling looser style of death metal. You know, I mean, I don't think we really thought about it so much. It was just like, you just knew that feeling. Like when I would play, you know, with the band and with the, you know, the guys or whatever, I would just know when it's right. Cause I'd be like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> just you, like that. That's, that's just, you know, sick or whatever. You just feel that pissed offness, you know? And um, yeah, it was just, it just, it, it, the best way, at least for me to explain it now, looking back is just, you know, really trying to use our own imagination, trying to ourselves and not everybody is a, a virtuoso on your instrument and you don't have to be, I mean, some of the best bands out there in any style don't really, you know, they might be great songwriters, but when it comes to, you know, playing technically amazing, they're, um, you know, not, you know, they're not, everyone could be a Yngwie Malmsteen or whatever, you know, but it's, it's, but it's good because those imperfections create stuff that is original in, in the, the music style. If everyone just played by these, same set of rules the whole time then music would be very uninteresting because you know it, you know there I mean, the bottom line is there shouldn't be any right or wrong it's just what sounds good right yeah and that's i i think that one of the things that you touched on specifically talking about the florida bands and the little bit sort of tighter more thrash oriented sound that they had going on down there is this is all we're talking about something that took place at a time when there were still scenes and you, yeah. you have that now to an extent, but at the same time, you have, you know, YouTube videos that are teaching kids how to drum. You have YouTube videos that are doing guitar tutorials and stuff like yeah. that. And you guys, and you can definitely hear sort of the, when you say vibe, that's exactly what's going on with specifically like Onward to Golgotha, you know, so much, yeah. so much more than just songs are taking place, right? There's this chaos that's sort of beneath and behind the music accompanying it. And I think that it's really interesting to see how New York bands, um, you know, you guys and some of the other bands that came up with y'all sort of were doing things differently because you weren't necessarily as exposed openly to what was going on in other places, sort of evolving well, on your own, right? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying because it's really, it is um, totally different back then without having the internet and YouTube and stuff like that. I mean, I, I, I've seen on YouTube, you know, videos on how to play black metal or, and how to play like specific styles of underground music, you know? And I, I'm kind of happy that that wasn't there at the time, you yeah. know? I mean, the style wasn't developed enough, 
I think for people to really do it, but it's not, it just wasn't, it's just, to me, it's not the best thing because we had to just figure it out on our own. And that's yeah. part of what made all of us, um, you know, original in our own way, because, you know, you don't have, you know, no one tells you these things, like a lot of issues that we ended up picking up along the way, we picked up little pieces here and there, maybe by talking with other bands or going into the studio or realizing these things happening, you know, we, we get into a problem and then we realize, oh, wait, maybe there's a, a better way to solve this, you know, but we, we weren't giving like a, you know, a manual on, you know, this is the way to play death metal. Cause it, and I, even though it's nice to have these kind of resources at the same time, sure. it, it does, um, it does bum me out too, because I don't think, you know, I think people should follow their own feeling more sometimes. Cause I mean, back then, you know, a lot of the guitar players, you know, really didn't even take lessons. They just kind of, you know, vaguely learned by listening to, I don't know, a Sodom album or something like that, right. or listening to, you know, um, you know, I mean, I, I grew up just playing other band songs for a while, just trying to figure it out in a really horrible way, you know, and just eventually I got the opportunity to, you know, write some music and I just, um, you know, just kind of went with it. I didn't, there was no, yeah, there was, there was no real rules. I mean, like I said, it's good to have, the, it's good to have, I mean, I would have loved to have somebody who knew about death metal t tell me some of this stuff early, right. but at the same, it's nice to not know it and just ignorance is bliss and just know the, just go with the feeling. Cause it maybe if I knew all that stuff, by the time we did our first album, it would have sound different because I would have, you know, I would have known how to do things that, that it's, it's like that ignorance helps yeah. make that album really good, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I, it's, while it's, I, I agree with you 100%. Like when I bring up the fact that there's sort of a globalization of, of death metal now with YouTube and things like that, it's not necessarily that I'm complaining about it. It's just that I think that it's really important, especially speaking to somebody who's had a career as long and as fruitful in this genre as yours to sort of talk about where these things began and how they, how they, how it's different from sort of the way that it's, really easy to see it now, you know, as a young person, just discovering. Yeah. I, I sometimes, I sometimes think about it, you know, like how the newer generation must see it. And I, I don't know. I don't know if they could, you could really understand a hundred percent because most of the younger generation now grew up with the internet their whole life, you know? So it's become a, a part of them, you know, but back, yeah. well, you know, in our time, you know, we had to physically go to record stores. You had to buy, you know, records. And and that stuff had a lot to do with the evolution of it, too, because you would go to the store and you'd pay money to buy a record and you get it home and you're just like, hmm, it's not the best, you know, and yeah. then, you might, <laughs> then you have to, you know, you'll want to listen to it as many times as possible to try to see if you could like it because you spent your, um, you know, your allowance or your paper money to buy this, you know, paper route money to buy this album. And you would want to give it every possible chance to understand what's going on. And okay, you can't like everything, but there's a lot of albums that I bought that I quite understand or like at, yeah, at first. And in these days, 
I could have easily switched to something else because it's all for free pretty much. But back then, since I paid money for this, I, I listened to it a bunch of times. I mean, you know, albums like um, Voivod's Roar was just like mm -hmm. so extreme. I didn't even know what to think of it, you know, or uh, Possessed Seven Churches, you know. These were albums that at that time hearing them, the first listen, you don't get it 100%, you know. You need to it needs to grow on you. And yeah. because I spent money on these albums, I let them grow on me. And then I understood it. And then once I got linked into it, I was just like, holy crap, I totally get this. And, you know, it totally relates to me. But so, you know, there's, it, it's just a, I think about that. And it, it's kind of, you know, it's, even though you're getting music for free in a way, some people might actually be shortchanging themselves a little bit by not, giving things enough of a listen because, um, you know, things that you don't like at, at first or don't understand at first shouldn't always just be shunned. It should sometimes be uh, listened to back and just, you know, you'll, you'll get it. And I try to, um, I, a lot of the promotion we were doing for a new album, I try to tell people, just give it a listen, you know, give it a couple listens to really understand what's, what's going on. If you listen to it the first time, you don't get it. That's okay. But you know, you shouldn't just never, give it a listen again, you should give it more chances. And then maybe you get into it. Maybe you still think it sucks, but at least, you know, you gave it the proper thorough, um, you know, yeah. and I, we we're, we're sitting here talking so much about the past. We, we you know, definitely want to get to second vile divinities um, here in a minute, but on the, on the way to that, one of the things that we were talking about before we got you on the line. And one of the things that's really interesting to me and that is sort of, the way that the dynamic within the people who create music in a band and incantation is very specific, uh, specifically interesting when we talk to you because you have sort of changed your role as the years have gone on, right? You've gone to uh, from writing guitar, from playing guitar, moving into the guitar and the vocal spot uh, and sort of being the, the front runner of the band the entire time. Can you tell us a little bit about how that evolution changed the way that you look at the band and the way that you make music? Well, the, this, I mean, really when I started, I was really, really influenced by uh, Mike Toreo from Possessed as a guitar player. He was one of them, um, you know, maybe like, um, you know, Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King, stuff like that were, were big influences on me. But I really just wanted to be a guitar player and I just wanted to have that, I wanted to write songs and, you know, just do, you know, some uh, solo work or whatever stuff like that and um i just i was very self-conscious about even my ability to do vocals because i've always had more of a higher ranged vocal i mean a voice you know growing up and stuff like that so i i always felt super self-conscious about every time i spoke and talk especially when i was younger and um so to be a, a front man was not even a thought like I'd rather just in my mind be like the mastermind behind the guitar and just you know find other people that wanted to express my um, vision that I had and um, you know it's a difficult situation and I've been very fortunate to jam with amazing people but it's also it's it's almost unfair to some of the other musicians sometimes because you know I, I was a guitar player and I'm kind of 
trying to run the show the way I want to run it and expecting other people to come in and just want to do things my way. It's, you know, they might like what, what the band is and they join the band because they like the band, but there is a point where everybody wants to be a part of this as they want to express them, their own selves in the music. And sometimes that's a, a conflict in, um, you know, my my vision or whatever in it and it's kind of gets to be uh, unfair it's all it's like the same reason why a lot of people like to work with me is the same reason why they don't like to work with me because you know i i i'm very i push really hard i really have um you know, high standards for myself and i work a lot on like band stuff it's like the band stuff is a prior my probably my priority in life so when I jam with other people where maybe other things in their lives are priorities, it's a problem or, you know, somebody might want to, you know, say they're getting into a, a little bit more of a different style, like, you know, maybe want to go more black metal or something like that, or go more uh, doom or something. It's just doesn't, um, you know, it's a clash. So it's been, a, it's been a really difficult thing to be the guitar player and, um, you know, also expect the front man to be the person that I want them to be when they need to be their best person that they could be. And especially early on when you're younger, you don't look at it like that. You look at it like, I, I just don't understand why everyone doesn't understand the way I want to do it is the right way. And <laughs> they should just be happy that they have somebody as smart as me telling <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an arrogance that you have and you sure. almost need that though, to, to be successful. Cause you need to believe in yourself. But I, like, I was so into the underground and underground music and I just knew, I knew what I wanted, but it, it's not, it's not fair to, you know, for years in the band, especially through the nineties has been very difficult because, you know, we get somebody to be a front man in a band and, a lot of times I'd be coaching them on how to do things. And it just, I, I really started to realize after a while that it's like, you know, that's not really proper, you know, because you can't like get somebody in the band and expect them to just transform into who you want them to be. They have to be themselves and be the right person to be in the band. And, um, you know, after, after some, uh, problems we have with Mike Sayas, not not uh, personal problems with him. He actually got along great, but he got um, stabbed at one of our shows in Queens, New York, on tour, and we had to cancel the tour. Yeah, it was crazy. It's a whole story. I, mean, I, it's I, I I know about that, but I'm just sitting here thinking about the people who aren't that familiar with the band who were like, "All right, elaborate." Now we got to check them out. You know? Yeah, motherfuckers well, get stabbed at incantation shows. Being in the band does not keep you safe. <laughs> Right? Yeah. So our, our vocalist got stabbed and he ended up, um, he ended up quitting the band after that, which, um, you know, I was really bummed out about because for my stubborn self would have been like, well, getting stabbed is not a good reason to quit the band. That's more a reason to want to get up there again and be like, yeah. you know, come on, bitch, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but no, but I understood. I mean, we understood, but you know, to be serious about it, you know, yeah. it was yeah. a traumatic experience and I understand totally, you know? Um, but after that happened, um, Kyle and I, our drummer, Kyle, we, yeah. we talked about it and we really made, 
made the tough decision that, you know, one of them had to do it. And he said he, he can't do it and that I have to do it. And I'm like, well, I can't do it. But he's, he's like, well, you have to, because, you know, we can't just keep finding different people affront the band so much throughout our career. And it's like, even if you suck, it's like, well, let's just continue and you suck, you know, but at least you know that you're doing it, you know, we're not switching. And um, so I, you know, I, I agreed to take on the challenge and it took like about a, a good year of practicing until, until we did it. And, you know, it took a couple of years of doing it live to say, feel hundred percent comfortable. But the thing was, is, is doing that helped the band out so much because it was always such an important issue that we weren't getting um, that it was an issue that we were having in the band for quite some time is that we can't find the right front person in the band to front it the way that we want it to. And, and I'm, even though I, I'm kind of a, I don't know, I push really hard with the band and I, I, I do give, people a lot of criticism i also can take the criticism myself and you know like it was really a good situation because for a drummer kyle he's very opinionated too about stuff and he's able to tell me stuff and i don't get i don't take it personally some people can take it personally if someone tells you you know this is not good or whatever you know blah 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 they people some people want to hear everything they do is great and you know if if whatever and I'm the kind of person where I, I like the fact that people come to me, you got to do better or you could do better than that. Like push you. And Kyle and I, we really, our relationship grew stronger in the band because we were, I, I was able to really get across what, um, you know, I wanted to in the band and he would tell me these things like, you know, you got to, um, you know, do this better or you could do, you know, push me. And it was just a really positive vibe. And, and it was, a, it made the band better because, now, you know, it's freed up a lot of stress that we were having in the band with people trying to um, appease us with their job as vocalist or whatever, because I, you know, I was playing guitar, doing vocals. Then, you know, we, we had for a while we had um, Joey Lombard, who unfortunately passed away. Um, he was playing with us and it was a really great vibe because we were able to just have the band come across what we wanted to live as a, as a front person and everything else just seemed to fall into place. And now, you know, with the current lineup that we have now, just everything just feels super, super comfortable the way it's supposed to be. And now I look at it and I can't imagine not being the uh, front man of the band, but at the same time, you know, when I was younger, I just didn't have the confidence to do it. Well, it wasn't a thought, um, you know, and it's all the time. I mean, amazing vocalist telling me like, man, you should have been doing this since day one. It's like, yeah, but I didn't know. I had no clue. It wasn't even a thought. Like it, I totally, it's hard to think about it now, but it wasn't even, even a, a possibility of, of thinking I could do it. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's, I feel like it's become definitely part of the band sound over the years since you, since you got behind the mic. And I, I also feel like a lot of the, the changes that have taken place in you guys style over the years. Um, I can't help but wonder if maybe that is sort of intertwined with you writing riffs as well as, as needing to be able to sing over those in a live setting. And that kind of brings us up to uh, the most recent record came out earlier this year, Sect of Vile Divinities. Um, we've had this great 
chat so far about sort of like the evolution of the band and how things have gone for you so far as a musician and sort of being there. Tell us a little bit about what happens in 2020, 2019, when John McKenzie sits down to write a new incantation record. Like, where do you go? What's your inspiration? What are your thoughts? What, what gets you into it? Um, well, I mean, the Sect of Isle Divinity album was basically tracked drum-wise about two years ago. So, well, actually, it's more like two and a half years ago now. So we had we had the drum tracks done, done for a while. Our drummer was, he records the drums in his home studio, and he was making a move. And we wanted to get all the drum tracks done before he made the move because we didn't know how long it was going to take to rebuild the studio in his new place. And it ended up, um, we just, we ended up touring like crazy and not, having time to finish the album it wasn't until the summer of yeah last year we um really started to like pull up some tracks again and started playing the songs to him and stuff and sorry i keep burping um no worries man the um you know we started pulling up the tracks and we felt we felt good about them but we just felt like they needed just a little more feeling to it and stuff like that. So we just basically took like, you know, a good three months of just re you know, kind of rewriting a lot of it over the original drum parts and stuff like that. And just really, um, you know, yeah, it, it's, it was a very, it was, it was very stressful actually, because, when we were writing the stuff, we were very, we weren't really feeling everything the same way we felt two years ago when we had the drums to it, you know? So I was really a little self-conscious about the album, really, in, in a way that being self-conscious about it made me put in so much extra work because I really wanted to make the, um, you know, I really wanted to make the songs the best they can. And, I mean, other guys, of course you know, helped out a lot too in that situation. But I'm just looking at it from my side, I kind of really got into like kind of mad scientist mode and really analyzed every aspect of those songs and tried to add as much flavor and stuff into it. And in some crazy way, it worked out well for us, you know, but honestly, when I, I was done with it, I mean, my part of the album, as far as the guitar stuff, I was so spent and so burnt on it that I couldn't see what the album was going to be like. Like when we got to the mixing aspect of it, I actually had to kind of bow out a little bit because my brain was just so like, I, I was just, I was just burnt, you know, because yeah. when you live the song so much, I mean, I was living them from day to night for like months at a time, you know, and a lot of stuff, there's a lot of stuff that I wanted to change that I didn't change that the guys told me not to change, which was good because people really like those parts. But at that time I started getting to the point where I was just like wanting to uproot everything, you know, it just, you get really crazy, but, but yeah, by the end of the recording, I was, I was shot and, um, basically like the, the mixing of it. Um, I remember getting them back and I'm just like, I, I, I don't know. I don't, is this good? Is this bad? I don't know what this is. I can't, I can't think anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, I 
pretty much left it up to, you know, Swano to do the, the mix the, the way he thought. And, um, you know, the other guys just kind of threw in their two cents. And I'm just like, I, I don't know. Let's just, just uh, like, I, I'm so done with it. I want to get them out. And I, for me, I was just wanted to work on brand new stuff, you know, because I was so inspired by right. right I was, I was so inspired because I wanted to get done with this album so I could do the next one, you know, yeah. that, uh, I was just looking at it like, okay, we'll put this, the one Sectavile Divinity album out. It's the best we could have done with the situation. Hopefully people like it. If they don't like it, it's no problem. We're ready to do another album. We'll just do it, you know? And it's so funny because once we, the album came out or people started hearing the album, people loved it. They thought it was yeah. great. And it's, it's one of our best, it's our best selling album probably that we've ever had. If you compare like the charts and yeah. just like the actual sales, you know, in, in, in uh, ratio to time, it's like our best, our, our most successful album. And it's the album that I was like, almost to the point where I was just like, I don't know what the hell to do. Just get this out there and just see what happens. And I just kind of held my breath with it. And it's been such a, a awesome uh, surprise that it's, it's, it did so well because we honestly, I think all of us in the band were so spent on it that we just, we really didn't, we really thought like, we just hope this album isn't terrible. You know, like <laughs> we, we really hope it, we really hope it just doesn't totally suck, you know? What? And because it's different for people to hear it for the first time. It's different. We live these songs. We, we've had these songs for two years. Plus then we added so much to these songs afterwards. And it's like, all we're doing is getting all this, this these songs in your head. Everything is so unexciting. Everything is so uninteresting. It's, it's just like, I wore the crap out of, you know, enjoying the songs. It took me a long time to listen back to it and actually get the proper perspective, you know? And I listened to it once we released it, you know, I listened to it and I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's a pretty good album. You know, it's not so bad, but I, you know, but at the time when it was done, I was, I remember sending it to relapse and being like, I hope you guys don't think this sucks. You know, it's like, oh, and I remember even I sent a couple clips to a couple of my friends, you know, and I was like, don't, don't let anyone hear this, but just, tell me the truth. If this sucks, just let me know because I really, you know, I'm, I really can't, I don't have perspective, you know, and luckily there's some people out there that, you know, once they heard it, they kind of reassured me a little bit, but having that insecurity is part of being a musician too. You know, it's like, you know, even though we do it for ourselves, you know, it just, there's a certain, there's always a certain, um, feeling you get like, fuck, I hope this is good enough, you know? And yeah. then like next album, I'll feel like super confident about and everyone will hate it or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, I can't imagine that being the case. And the thing is like, it's so weird. It's so fascinating to me to hear that like the creation and the behind the scenes stuff record was so tumultuous because I, it feels like such a purposed and direct album. Like there's so much, it's a, you know, obviously it's heavy as fuck, nobody's going to dispute that but i feel like a lot of the songwriting is so tight and a lot of the like there's there's big standout hooks on this record you know yeah. and it feels like a very it feels so deliberate and it feels like you guys I, I don't know it's just crazy to hear that that behind the scenes it was so so different than the way it came out yeah well there was there was a, a bunch of issues but yeah some of the songs when I wrote them, I did write them with deliberately trying to get that more 
old school catchiness and yeah. certain parts of stuff like that, which came across really well. But there, you know, I mean, without without really getting into it too much, you know, th there was um, there was a lot of problems in the band at the time. I mean, uh, you know, we were having problems with our guitar player, Sonny, where he had a kind of a different vision on how we wanted the band to develop or whatever. And that uh, really caused a lot of extra stress in the band because we had there's like three of us pointing in one direction, one person pointing another direction. And it was really difficult to try to work out that, um, you know, find that middle ground that makes sense to everybody, you know? And, and I, I guess it got to the point where it didn't make sense for him because he ended up leaving. But, you know, what, actually once he left, it actually freed us up to like, okay, we could finish this piece properly because in our opinion, at least, um, you know, say myself, Kyle and, uh, Chuck's opinion was is the, the album was starting to get to a point where it was getting fragmented into two different areas and it needed to it needed to pick one and go with it you know and we had you know I, Kyle myself and Chuck you know we went with our way uh, about about it you know and that that's kind of why the split ended up happening and it's not you know and it's one of those things you, you don't blame somebody for having a different view that's fine but when it comes down to the the bottom line on the album is you have you have to shit or get off the pot in one way or another you know and it either has to be this way or that way you know and it, we had to go our way with it and it, you know we're surprisingly it worked out good you know well we were talking before the before you came on that it sounds like it's uh it could be your most accessible record. Like we can see a yeah. new band listening to it and getting into the old incantation. Cause you know, if you, if you start with Golgotha, that might just be too much for some people, <laughs> you know? It's well, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think, um, get, cause I, I just did an interview recently. People were asking me, uh, they were asking me what, um, you know, album they should get into first. And I do think this is a good album for people that might not, you know, know us too well it's a good way to kind of get a easier way to understand it because yeah i mean i want to go gotha or mortal throne nazarene i mean those are very um very fucking heavy records man. <laughs> yeah intense Every records you know yeah. and it, i mean the, yeah they're great records but you know they're not for somebody that just got into death metal recently those are like they're like for experienced death metal yeah. people you know <laughs> it's the way it is i mean and this and it's funny because the sect of all divinities album it we didn't think about it as being accessible we didn't really even want it to be accessible it just it kind of happened because uh, we really wanted to focus like i said on some of the uh, more catchier evil harmony parts on it, the, you know, and that that with the way Dan Swano mixed it was he mixed it in a more accessible way than any of our other stuff has been done in, in the past, you know, which is kind of funny because if I wasn't so burnt out on the album, I probably would have fought that a little bit because it, my natural instinct is to go really, you know, heavy on, <laughs> on the guitars and a kind of a, you know, more of that old school sound. And, but because I was so, I was just so out of it and so burnt out, like I said, with everything ended up, um, the, you know, guitars ended up coming across and overall production came across a lot more 
say easier to listen to. And, um, you know, it ended up being a good thing for us where, like I said, if, if I was, you know, if it was my decision, it probably would have sounded more like, you know, the, uh, the older stuff, you know, like I was actually, I really wanted the sound originally. I wanted more like a modern version of say the blast album or something like that, or, um, or closer to like dirges of Elysium or something like yeah. that, you know? Sure. But, you know, you don't always pick out. It's like sometimes you don't know. You don't know what is the best thing to do. Like I never I'm not a person that says I know production and how to do great production on stuff. I just know I listen back to it and it's right. And sometimes, you know, Dan Swano is an amazing producer. He knows what he's doing yeah. and he knows how he's bringing out the, the best in us. He might see something different in us than we might see in ourselves. So, you know, letting him kind of control that to some extent you know, relieves a little bit of stress off us because some of our albums in the past have been very difficult when Kyle and myself are in the, um, you know, in the control room trying to do a mix on an album and we're pinpointing all these minor details that mean nothing. And we're not looking at the overall picture. And Dan comes in now and he's like, he looks at the overall thing and just get sound on the album. He's not listening for, you know, this one's, this one symbol hit here isn't as vibrant as the other one, or, you know, this guitar part, if something, you know, some stupid stuff, like, you know, the people that write it and the people that play it, they're worried about these minor details. And it's like, yeah, they're important, but the overall, the overall painting of the album is more important than everybody's minor details too, you know? Yeah. And I, well, one of the things about the new record specifically, like in the sound, the production, I think, plays a lot into this, but also just the song structures themselves. This shit is going to be fucking killer live, man. I, I so. really feel like there's going to be yeah. a lot of involvement. And so that kind of brings up we're we're in a shitty situation right now because <laughs> you got this record out. Nobody can tour. Tell us a little bit about what the COVID situation has looked like for the band and maybe for you personally, if you feel like it. And sort of what are you looking forward to getting back to when and if all this blows over? Well, yeah, it's kind of funny because we put out an album that most of the songs will go over really well live and we can't play live. Right? <laughs> <laughs> fucking sucks, man. But, um, I mean, you know, it, it's been it was, it's definitely, you know, it's obviously been really strange and for everybody, the whole uh, COVID stuff and lockdown and, you know, not being able to go to shows and play shows, but in, at the same time, it's also, you've been kind of cool to like force myself to kind of take a break from touring because I, you know, we, we toured a lot for, I mean, since Vanquish and Vengeance came out and that's, Oh, about 10 years ago now we've been pr a pretty heavy tour schedule the whole time this is like easily the longest amount of time without playing any shows i've done maybe maybe for i can't remember for sure and it's good in a way to have that break and to get a little reflective because i don't spend a lot of time thinking about you know uh say the overall history of the career and stuff like that, that I've had musically, you just always looking forward to stuff. So it's given me some good time to reflect on stuff. It's also given me a lot more time to just concentrate on, you know, writing music. Um, you know, we've been writing a, a lot of music for uh, our next album and we're at, we're actually, um, you know, re recording um, 
a next album at the moment, you know, like bits and pieces of it and stuff like that. Cause just been so inspired. Um, so we're doing that. We're, um, you know, we tried doing, you know, live stream, um, for a Mexico metal fest, I think it was. And it, it was okay, but it really felt uncomfortable. Um, you know, we didn't really, it was just one of those things. We didn't really know how to go about it as far as like, do we act like we're really playing a show or do we act like we're just kind of hanging out jamming? We saw like, you know, what kind of vibe works for this uh, platform? And we really weren't so comfortable. We were a little more comfortable with it now after doing it once, but cause we realized, you know, we realized a lot of things after, after doing it and looking back on it, you know, but I guess that's how everything works is, you know, you, you kind of, in a situation like this, you just got to kind of, you know, do the things you can do, try them out. And it's like, you know, part of anything with the band in general, you do things and sometimes you fail at it. Sometimes things don't go as good as you want, but you use that and you learn from it, you know, in the future and stuff like that. I mean, we're looking forward now to, you know, next year, some stuff happening. We don't have any stuff set in stone yet, but there are some touring plans for um, like the fall or we have some stuff in Europe and we were working on something for the U S but I don't have any timelines. The only thing that I know that we're still a hundred percent on for, unless, unless it's not a hundred percent, I guess <laughs> is um, the Quebec death fest is we're, I think that's still supposed to happen in September as of now. So we're hoping that happens and we do have some um, European fests in the summertime that we're booked on that we hope to um, play. It just, it all depends. You know, you, you don't really know what this stuff we're cautiously optimistic, but we really want to get out there and play. I mean, it's, we want, we want to play some of these new songs live, um, you know, really, really bad. I mean, I really think, they'll go over good. And just with the reaction to it, I think, um, yeah. you know, the, the way the album, the reaction for the album, I think people really enjoy, um, you know, hearing some of this stuff live, you know, it's, 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 it's really good. It's just a pain in the ass because we have a really big discography of stuff. And there's so many yeah. songs that we want to play live, but, you know, playing death metal for like th a three hour show would just be too much for us and boring as fuck probably, you know? No, no, I don't think it would be at all. So that that kind of steers us. That steers us into uh, some fan questions. We've got a couple of couple of submissions here for stuff that people wanted us to ask you. And one of these questions is: What are some incantation classics, or maybe some deep cuts that haven't been in the set for a long time that you would like to see back when shows come back? Um, well, if it's up to me, we play a lot more deep cuts because, for me it's more fun to play a deep cuts than it is to play the, the, you know, the same ones all the time. I mean, I mean, we have certain songs like uh diabolical conquest that we kind of have to play each time. And, um, um, Ibex moon is one we have to kind of play all the time. And, um, even carry on prophecy is a newer one. It's really, a you know, kind of a popular one. So, you know, for us to be able to play something more obscure is way is way more fun for me. I mean, um, one that I really want to try to fit into the set is uh, off the Mortal Throne Nazarene album is Nocturnal Dominion. It's a song I really, I really like the song and we've been wanting to put it in our set for a while. It just, it's hard to find space. We, it's like when we do a, um, an, an opening set, 
you know, like we did a, like devastation on the nations. Uh, you know, we got 40, about 40 minutes to play, but really to fit in a reasonable amount of deep cuts, we at least need an hour to try to throw in a couple of um, those, but yeah, nocturnal dominion is one we really wanted to add to the set. Um, I'd like to also do, off the Diabolical Conquest album, uh, Disciples of Blasphemous Reprisal would be a good one to play live. I, I really like that song. It's it's crazy because there's such there's some really great songs that I really like in our discography, and somehow they they just get put aside for a while because there's so much other stuff out there, you know. Also, uh, let's see uh, another another one. Um, I'd like to do would be um, one off of a Decimate Christendone album, uh, Merciless Tyranny, which is a song I really like too off that one, which we haven't played that one out for a while. I mean, there, there's a bunch of, we're, you know, we're one of those bands. We're not, we don't like to shy away from our older stuff or yeah. um, shy away from the newer stuff. We like to just have a good mix of everything because, you know, there's, you know, it's fun for us to play some of these um rare cuts and it's like it you know you could tell sometimes if we play a rare cut some of the crowds like what what the hell is this you know but other, there's other people there that you know really means a lot to like what was really fun was at the was it nuclear war now fest we we did um a specialty set but we we didn't tell them that we were going to do it. Like they asked us to do the whole moral throne Nazarene album, but we didn't commit to it. We didn't want to commit to it. So we, what we did is we went out on stage and we played just like diabolical conquest, uh, Ibex moon. And like, uh, I'm on a one other song. And then we just said, you know, good night or whatever. And then came out to do the encore, did the whole moral throne Nazarene album, you know, and yeah. it was just so much fun because the promoters were up in the front, they were like almost in tears. They were so happy to see us play that song in its entirety. And it was so much fun for us. I mean, it was great. We love playing those, that stuff, but it was just great to, to know that you could take some of these old songs and play them for people. And, you know, they really can get that, um, you know, it really brings good memories for them, you know, because, yeah. um, you know, and we noticed that like, depending on the age of our fans, there's different albums and songs that really bring back, childhood memories to um people when we play them which is just such a great thing as a musician to be able to bring that kind of uh passion and know that your music had that much of an impact on somebody it's hard to believe really uh-oh i lost you can you hear me now oh yeah i got you okay okay good Sorry. all right we got <laughs> all right one one more submission question then we got a big question for you after that what is uh what's your guilty pleasure food on the road uh, there, there, there's a bunch of them. I mean, I'll say back, back in the day, a guilty pleasure would be going up to Canada, getting some poutine, oh, yeah. uh, that it's just, it's French fries, gravy and cheese curds, and they make it so damn good up there. It's amazing. Uh, and when I'm in, uh, passing through Springfield, Missouri, I get some, uh, cashew chicken Springfield style. It's different than anywhere else, but these days I've been really trying to be a little more healthier. So I try to go with, um, I don't know, I've been like maybe something like a poke bowl or something like that yeah, instead of, yeah. um, <laughs> instead of 
you know, fries and cheese curds and gravy. <laughs> the more, the more, the more responsible tack. I think that's admirable. You got to take care of yourself when you're on the road, for sure. I would yeah. like to build on that question for sure, because this is a, also a health and wellness podcast under the radar. And you've been at this for a long time, John, and mm-hmm. you look great. And having seen you guys live several times, I'm from Pittsburgh, by the way, so awesome. I get to see a lot of a lot of your shows. You guys would always come down. So Killer. Uh, having a seeing you a bunch of times over the years you guys are awesome live and how do you, you stay in healthy good shape doing this for so long well it hasn't been so easy during the uh lockdown i definitely yeah. put on some weight in the lockdown which i have to uh work towards uh shedding before i get out on the road again but um I'm here to help anytime <laughs> that's cool i appreciate <laughs> it yeah no it's it's been cool just that um you know it's difficult because actually when I get into like songwriting mode and stuff like that, I spend so much time working on music that I'm not as active as I am when I'm like on the road touring. Like when I'm on the road touring, I'm just moving around a lot. I'm, you know, there's just so much more to do that. Just, just the activity of being involved in that really helps me out, um, you know, health wise. But I mean, you know, the older I get, the more you have to really pay attention to, you know, what you eat and stuff like that. Like probably about, I don't know, 15 years ago, uh, I start, my doctor started that my cholesterol was getting high and it was because when I was on tour and I would eat a lot of crap food, you know, cause basically you just stop at a gas station or at, you know, Taco Bell or, or waffle, waffle house or wherever, and just eating like nonstop terrible food, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's good. It's <laughs> indulgent, but oh, yeah. it's, it's not, um, not healthy at all. And not, you know, and actually, yeah, for a while I didn't really do a lot to try to make it better, but in the last, you know, in last say five years, I've been way more conscious of it and just trying to, um, just, just trying to eat a lot healthier in general, just not eating as much processed food and stuff like that. I mean, I know it sounds all artsy and crap like that, but it's a real deal is it's like, if I have a choice between getting like, you know, a Burger King burger or going somewhere and buying a steak, I'll take the steak, you know, or, you know, uh, you know, just try to have like, you know, fresh greens or something like that, you know, just, I mean, I'm not saying that I eat perfect, but I just try to make more of my, um, more of my choices. I try to think about it a little bit and say like, well, you know, I'll take the healthier choice. Cause I I do, you know, the older you get, the more you realize that, you know, a lot of people I know have been passing away or have serious health problems. And it's like, I don't want to have those kind of problems, you know? So I definitely want to work on, you know, trying to be healthy. I mean, I do, you know, a little bit of working out here and there, nothing crazy, some cardio stuff, just stuff to kind of keep the heart pumping and, and whatnot. And really, honestly, though, the mo- the best thing is, you know, just being on tour and I, I, I spend the extra money to just not eat always the crap food that they give you at the uh, venues and stuff like that. You know, it's so, it's so easy to want to save the money and, you know, not go to say a nicer restaurant or, or someplace, you know, you can get something for, they can make on the bus or whatever. It's so much easier just to go and just eat their pizza or eat their, um, you know, 
the burger and fries or whatever, but you know, and it's okay once in a while to have that stuff. But you know, you start to realize when you're going a 30 day tour and you could have that stuff 30 days in a row and you just don't feel as good, you know, even yeah. playing live, you know, I don't feel as good. And also I do, I drink, I hardly drink at all anymore. And I, it wasn't a, a decision as far as like, Oh, you know, I got to stop drinking. That's it. It's just that there was a certain point in my life where I listened to my body and I, you know, wasn't enjoying drinking. It just, I felt like I was doing it more because my surroundings, but I wasn't, my body was like, not, I was listening to my body, you know? So now these days I I just don't really drink so much. I mean, if I want to, I drink if, but I listen to my body, you know, which is what I think is really important. I think a lot of people just need to listen to their body and your body usually tells them, you know, the right answer. I mean, of course, you know, your body could tell you that it's great to eat cake all day long, but you know, really your body, your body will feel like shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mine does too sometimes, but, you know, I, but you know, you feel so much better on, on tour. When I, when I started eating healthy, especially in the last couple of years, I felt, I feel great on tour now. And I make sure I just get good sleep. And then, cause say about 10 years ago on tour, I'd always get sick. I get sick every single tour. I come home with like uh, bronchitis and I don't smoke or nothing. And I come home with bronchitis pretty much. And after I started eating healthier on the road, it's like, I haven't gotten hardly sick at all. Like even if I ever get like a little bit of sniffles, I just go to sleep early that night and wake up and I, I it's gone. It really, you know, eating healthy really does, does help. Um, yeah, at least for me, it works, you know, it's 80%. And we're, you know, we're at the, we're at the, uh, the end of the year when everybody's getting ready to do their new year's resolutions and try all these new extreme things in the first of the year. So I, I think it's really important. And I've, I believe that this is part of the death comes lifting mission as well. Um, to, to talk about fitness and talk about health is something that you can do one step at a time and that you can sort of incorporate into your life without having to completely change everything. And, and, you know, and if that's what you need to do, that's good too. But well, I think, yeah, I mean, for me, it was really cool because early on in the pandemic, you know, just take some walks and stuff like that outside. Cause for me, it was great because like nobody was around. So, and I, and it's kind of, I'm kind of one of those people. I I like it when there's less people around everywhere. So I was like, you know, I just take walks at at night and it was just, you know, it wasn't a huge deal, but it was just nice to just kind of get out, you know, not really, you get a little bit exercise, not really, but it just clears the mind a little bit and puts you in a better vibe, you know, than just sitting around, you know, at your house all time and just obsessing over, you know, the, the latest drama on the internet, you know? Right. <laughs> yes. The, the, the doom scrolling is real in 2020. Yeah. yeah. Everyone just, it's like the internet is a perfect way for people to find out how they disagree with each other instead of yeah. looking at anything they agree upon. It only shows everyone being the most asshole they can be instead of, you know, their cool aspects. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> we try to focus on the positive here as well. Try as the evil and, yeah, as well as the evil and metal as fuck, but also positive. That's our mission. Yeah. And you're, well, you've been the- great, John, dude. Thank you so much for yes. being a guest. We're uh, approaching the end of our hour together. So we always have a final question that we ask all of okay. our guests. I can't wait. And um, yeah, I'm going to build this one up a little bit because the thing I love about incantation is the atmosphere, is the doom. You know, it's just so different. Mm-hmm. I feel like nothing sounds like 
you guys, even though new bands come and they cite you as influences, nothing quite sounds like the incantation vibe. And in my opinion, that's the atmosphere, that's the doom, that's the darkness. So that being said, what is your favorite Black Sabbath record? Ooh. Yes. That's tough. Actually, I was I was thinking about if somebody asked me that because it's so difficult. Man, it's so difficult to say because they have such so much great stuff, but I'll I'll, I'll say which ones aren't my favorite. Okay. Only only because they are so played out is probably the first three. Not because they're bad albums, because I've worn the crap out of them and I never have to hear one of those songs again. And I would be, and I, I would know them by heart. Like I could just sing them to myself if I ever have to hear them, you know? I mean, they're, they are great albums. And as a growing up, those were like my, my metal Bible almost, you know? So for me, it's, it's, you know, I like the more twist and turns or whatever of Sabbath. Um, but I, I'd have to say, if I have to pick one, I have to pick Born Again, I think. Um, oh, Interesting. Definitely. That's, there, I, I saw an interview with Chris Barnes once where he said that was easily the heaviest Black Sabbath record ever written. Yeah. It, it's an amazing album. It really is. For, for me, it was really just to know that uh, Ian Gillen was playing with them. And then once I heard him on like Disturbing the Priest and how evil he sounded, I was just like, holy fuck, you know, like. It just, it just, it just, an evil aura about that. And it has something to do, you know, like uh, Chris Barnes is kind of my generation of, um, you know, metalhead. So that, when that album hit was like prime time for us to, you know, have our heads crushed in by an album, yeah. you know, and the impact that had was just amazing. I mean, I, I really almost all the Sabbath albums I really love in, in different ways. But um, that album has always stuck with me as just, yeah, the most evil, pissed off, uh, you know, dark yeah. album. Even though I, I love the, um, the Dio era stuff, you know, yeah. that's e easily a close second. I mean, obviously, the, the cl classics like Sabotage and all those are, I mean, Sabotage might be my favorite Ozzy one. I love that album. Wow. It's tough. It's tough to say when albums are that good, but yeah, born again, you know, and I've heard like, I used to collect, I still have them, but I don't, I used to collect a lot of bootlegs and stuff on tour, especially of the born again tour. And just to hear Ian Gillen sing, even some of those old Sabbath songs and the yeah. Dio era songs, yeah. uh, it, it just makes, it just, you just feel that, ah, uh, you feel that, that evilness in it. And, and the guitar tone that, um, Naomi has, especially on those live recordings and stuff of born again is so heavy. Yeah. It's just, when you hear it, it just like, it's monstrous. You can just tell that they just, he just wanted to kill every poser in sight with that sound, you know? <laughs> well, and it, that's, that's one of the things it's on the record too. born again. Yeah, I, I agree. Like the guitar sound on born again is so fucking heavy. And some of those riffs are so like zero. The hero is a fucking ridiculously heavy riff. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, hotline is another one that I think is just like, it's so heavy and it's so catchy. You hear it and you're like, how did this not happen sooner? Well, it, with, in Black Sabbath, it's know? really great because I think on that album too, the songwriting is substantially different enough than, 
you know, the Dio and Ozzy stuff, yeah. actually, that they did, which is a great, great thing to show the talent of that band that they could come up with an original sounding album after putting out some of those classic albums in metal history, they come up with a new album and he caters it to Ian Gillen's vocals. And it totally makes sense. You know, it's, it's, an, it's phenomenal. It's as a songwriter, it's just, it just blows my mind, you know, the talent. Yeah, we, could, we could draw that parallel to you guys. What exactly what you just said from the, you know, your original albums are easily some of the best in death metal history. And then you can still, you know, reinvent yourself and come out with fresh sounding shit. So I guess, um, yeah, well, Tony Iommi is a huge influence on me. So um, I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to take after him, you know? Absolutely. That's a good, good dude to take after. We all are. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's one of the, um, he's one of the most important for, you know, I mean, I used to listen to Sabbath so, so much, even I remember my guitar teacher was more listening to a lot of Zeppelin and stuff like that at the time. And he's like, you listen to Sabbath. Like I worship Zeppelin and, um, you know, Aerosmith or whatever, you know, and, uh, you know, he's right. It's just like, I just, I worship at that altar for so long that, that the music and the riffs just, you know, it's a direct, um, you know, influence for sure. You know, without, you know, I don't want, obviously never wanted to copy it. I didn't, do a doom band like Sabbath or, or a rock band, but that, that influence or that feeling it, it just, um, you know, goes with me w- with whatever I do. I mean, I love, man, I, I just love the way those strings vibrate when he plays and just the little, the little subtleties in the playing that he has is just, um, ah, fuck. It's so amazing. It's one of the, one of the best things about music is hearing Tony Naomi play guitar. Hundred percent, brother. John, man, <laughs> thanks it has for been an absolute forward, pleasure. Thank you so very much for talking to us today. Um, we really hope that things get back to normal so that you guys can get back on the road soon. Can't wait to hear the new stuff that you guys are working on from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, well, thank you. I totally appreciate it, and definitely um, hit me up next time. You know, we are out on the road or whatever. We'll hang out a little bit before the gig or something. Okay. That would be Absolutely, awesome, man. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hell yeah. Be forever. Thank you. Take care. Take care. You Have a good one. Woo! John McKinty of Incantation is a prince. Dude's the fucking man. That was a dream come true for me, dude. That was, that was one of the... I feel like that might be the best conversation that we've had on here. He's I got just, so much... He He... he he volunteers so much information. He's got so much cool insight. He's got this really fucking present mind about his place in his genre and sort of what he's been in doing over the years. Like, what a good dude. What a good dude. Wanted to be here, you know, the whole thing. It was awesome. I, was, I, I appreciated every one of your good questions. Appreciated everything, man. Thank you. It absolutely. Was I, I was an Incantation fan at the beginning of this fucking podcast, and now... I take a bullet get, for that, man. Yeah, now we're about to get tattoos, I think. I think, I think it's incantation tattoo time. What a fucking dude. Yeah, maybe I can get incan on one knuckle and you can get tation on the other. Something yes. Like yeah. And then we can do the, the, the power duo when we meet up. Power thing. When, yeah, whenever we meet in real life. I love you, man. Thank you so much. This was great. You too, brother. Have a good one. We will talk again soon. It's going to be hard to top this one, but we'll, we'll figure something out for the next oh, one. Oh, yeah. We got some ideas. It's going right. to work. Thanks, man.
Take it easy, man. You too.